This is Ham College, Episode 56 for August 31st, 2019. Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Make the most out of this contest season with ICOM. And by hamstudy.org, a great place to study for your next amateur exam. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Ham College. I'm Professor Thomas. And I'm Dean Martin. And tonight we've got, uh, well, we've got a couple of new topics here to talk about, possibly. Yep. But with that in mind, what did we talk about last time? Well, you know, I hadn't had a chance to cheat and look at the thing, but I believe we, best I can recollect, we talked about power supply filtering and tower and RF safety. I, I think. Your it all kind of came to good. me all of a sudden there. Yeah. It was like the writing on the wall, <laughs> except it was on the table, right? <laughs> well, thanks for joining us here tonight. Uh, we're going to be covering, well, we're going to, obviously, since you can see the top of a meter back here, we're going to just uh, talk a little bit about meters. We've talked about them before, but they just happen to come up in the questions tonight. And... Um, we're going to talk a little bit about batteries and uh, a little bit about RF exposure and safety. Cool. That's great stuff to know about. And we are not fully rehearsed tonight, so everything's like normal. So it's not going to be like the well-oiled machine that it normally is. <laughs> yeah, so if you hear a little squeak every now and then, you'll know that, um, that it was unplanned. That's just the way it happened. <laughs> Anytime we're shooting Ham College, we've also got a chat room going on. Uh, you can join in there live at, no, you can join amateurlogic.tv slash chat. You can join it really only you when it's live. You can join it anytime we want to, but there's not going to be very many people in there. Right. But when we're shooting, we've always got that chat room going. And we're going to watch it as we ask the questions tonight and see what uh, you guys watching live answer. Yep. That's a lot of fun. It is. It's pretty smart crew in there. You know, most of the time, they they do real well. Sometimes they do better yeah. than us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're a bunch of smart people in there. Yep. Every once in a while, we stump them. It's not very often, though. Yeah. It, it happens, though. I mean, it and it, you know, th- these questions just seem to keep getting tougher and tougher. Yeah, speaking of that, we're about to the end of the general pool, so we should be moving over into the extra pool very, very soon. Next episode will be the last um, the the last of the general pool out of the pool that was current when we started. You know, the pool just changed last month. Mm -hmm. So that means after one more month, then we'll begin covering the changes for the new general pool. Uh, we're not sure how many questions were added, mm-hmm. so we'll be covering those. And then uh, Joy of Joys, we're moving on to the extra class. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah, and I've already passed it, and I'm concerned about that. Oh, me too. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, it, it's a much, much more interesting question. Too. Yeah, I'll it's uh, to a whole nother level. It's going to be fun, though. It is. It'd be good to have a refresher on all that stuff. Well, I think maybe we stalled about as long as we can, and we need to get on into the questions here. Oh, okay, I guess it's going to have to happen sooner or later. So the first question tonight, you can ask me this one. Okay. Why is a high input impedance desirable for a voltmeter? A, it improves the frequency response. B, it decreases battery consumption in the meter. C, it improves the resolution of the readings. Or D, it decreases the loading on the circuit being measured. You know, this one's almost like shooting fish in a barrel to me because yeah. I, I know the answer. And I want to give it a moment for the people in the chat room to answer there and see if they came up with the same one I did. I see a little mixed bag thing going on there. I do. I see a little mixed bag going in there, too. And I see some people changing their minds, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, Tommy... But what do you think it is? I thought I asked you this one. Well, you did, but I know the answer for for sure. Okay, so, so I'll look at it. This will be mine then. Oh, I'll well, it can be yours. Uh, okay, well, right. it's yours then. Uh, it doesn't improve the frequency response, and it doesn't decrease the battery consumption of the meter because we're talking we're talking about the inputs to the meter. Uh, I believe it's going to be it decreases the loading on circuits being measured. Uh, I'm inclined to agree, and so is most of the people in the chat room. Um, there were a mix between C's and D's there. And I could see why they would say C, but it is actually D. Here you go. I was hoping to trip you up on that one. Yeah, I figured you were. I saw the look in your eye. Well, you know, if you think about it, it's the, the reason that it, it has that effect, if you've got one with a low input impedance, you know, the impedance is like resistance. That mm -hmm. means when you go to measure a circuit in there, you're putting a resistor across it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about a voltmeter here. So if it's a low impedance meter, that's going to be a low resistance. You're putting a resistor to ground to wherever yeah. you're tapping at in there if, if your other probe's on ground. So it's going to have an effect on the circuit. If it's a high impedance, the circuit uh, really won't notice so much that, that you have added a meter to it because that's what you're doing when you put a meter across there. Mm -hmm. You're adding a meter into that, that circuit. So That makes sense. Good answer. Good answer for them. Good answer for them. Well, all right, well, why don't you ask me this one then, since I gave you the easy one. <laughs> what is an advantage of a digital voltmeter as compared to an analog voltmeter? A, better for measuring computer circuits. B, better for RF measurements. C, better precision for most uses. Or D, a faster response. I should have kept this one, too. Hmm. 
What is the advantage of a digital voltmeter as compared to an analog voltmeter? That's what we mean by a digital voltmeter. This one right here. And this is what we digits. need by an analog voltmeter. Oh, what's it hooked up to? Ah, it's hooked up to a power supply for a simulation. But we'll, we'll talk about okay. that in a minute. That's a different question. Okay. So what's the advantage of a digital voltmeter as compared to the analog? A, better for measuring computer circuits. Now, that really wouldn't matter. B, better for RF measurements. Right. Nah, not really. Uh, D, faster response. No, that digital meter does not respond quite as fast as that analog meter. I'm going to say it's C, better precision for most uses. If I look in the chat room, they're all saying it's it's C. So I, I feel pretty good about I'm that one. I'm sure it's C, but it almost seems like A could sort of almost be plausible. Yeah, but it's really, I mean. Yeah, I know it's not the answer. Yeah, the only thing you're measuring on a computer circuit generally is uh, a high or a low, so. Well, it's about 5 volts and. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Better precision for most uses, that's got to be it. Did I get a, a fist bump? Oh, yeah, you get one. I'm sorry. I was holding out on that's, that's, you know, that's sort of mandatory for the first questions that we get right. Yep. What is an instance in which the use of an instrument with analog readouts may be preferred over an instrument with a digital readout? Is it A, when testing logic circuits? B, when high precision is desired? C, when measuring the frequency of an oscillator? Or D, when adjusting tuned circuits? Okay. Logic circuits, that's going to be basically like a high and low, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. When high precision is desired, we just ruled that out because that was the opposite of the last question. The uh, di digital is better for higher precision. Measuring the frequency of an oscillator. And I would think you would want finer grain, uh, be able to see a finer resolution than that, or when adjusting tuned circuits. I'm pretty sure that's going to have to be the answer right there, D when adjusting tuned circuits. So what are all your contemporaries saying? Hmm? <laughs> In the chat room. Oh, they're all C and D. Delta. Wow, everybody's got D. Yeah. I, I I feel pretty good about your answer, too. How do you, what about you? Yep. And it is when adjusting tuned circuits. And, you know, I just happen to have an analog and a digital voltmeter sitting right here on the bench right now. Yeah. And you can tune a circuit, but you can't tune a fish. That's that's pretty close to the truth. Well, in fact, that is the truth, <laughs> according to some bands. So. so let's look here. I've got a power supply hooked up that these are both connected across. And I'm going to vary the voltage on it, and we're going to see what happens. And this is simulating... Uh, the tuning of a circuit, which I didn't have, you know, a good way here to show you otherwise. But basically, you'll you'll be looking at a voltage when you're doing that, or a current 
but you'll get the same effect we do here. So let's say we've got a circuit that um, we need to find a peak on. All right, so we're, we're trying to tune for maximum smoke or voltage. <laughs> okay. Usually voltage, that's better. Yeah, sometimes you get smoke. Yeah. All right, so if I start tuning that circuit, I can see, you know, I turn the knob one way, it's going down. And on both displays here, you can see it goes down on the digital and the analog. It does. If I start turning it up, you can see it comes up on both of them. And when I I went through the peak, all right, so let me back up to the peak. And right there, we what we witnessed was that this analog meter settled down, and it was like in real time as mm -hmm. I adjusted the voltage. You know, it was it was tracking my changes. The digital meter took a moment to settle down to on the reading. Yeah. So definitely looking at an analog meter for a case like tuning a circuit is going to be much better. And hmm. a, a good, well, I guess a good reference point would be your uh, antenna tuner or your watt meter that you use with an HF rig. Most all of them, uh, antenna tuners that have meters built in, have analog meters. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's true. And it's just much easier to look at that meter swing, and it happens in real time than it would be to watch a digital display when you're trying to adjust your antenna tuner. Interesting. So that's my story. Sticking to it? I'm sticking to it for now. Yeah, you should. Until something better comes now. along, yep. So, next question. What is the minimum allowable discharge voltage for maximum life of a standard 12-volt lead-acid battery? A, 6 volts. B, 8.5 volts. C, 10.5 volts. Or D, 12 volts. What is the minimum allowable discharge voltage for maximum life? of a standard 12-volt lead-acid battery. Um, well, I know you can run it to a minimum of less than 12 volts. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be D. I don't think you should run it all the way down to 6 volts. Your circuits are not going to be performing like they should, whatever is connected to it. Um, and 8.5 volts, that seems like, you know, things are going to be acting squirrely. Yeah, it seems if, a little low. Yeah, so I'm going to say it's got to be 10.5. That's less than 12 volts by a couple of volts, which is, you know, a fair amount. But I, I think you can get by with that. Well, it's actually a volt and a half lower. Mm -hmm. So 10.5 volts. And all our chat room folks are saying it is C. Yep. You can't and fool. it is. You can't fool those folks in there. Oh, you can sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but but not that often. No. What is an advantage of a low internal resistance of nickel cadmium batteries? Is it A, longer life? B, 
high discharge current. C, high voltage. Or D, rapid recharge. Uh, I don't, long life, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the answer. It's based on the capacity of the battery. I don't think the chemistry, maybe a little bit, but I don't think that's right. High discharge current. I do know they can deliver a pretty good bit of current. High voltage, that's a standard thing. D, rapid recharge. What are you doing? Oh. Cheating. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Um, I, I think the answer is going to be high discharge current. I know they can put out a good bit of current because my, all my power tools are NICADs. Uh, lipos can too, but this is particularly asking about NICADs. So I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be B, high discharge current. I think. Hmm. Was it? Was everybody else NICAD. saying? NICAD. You wouldn't. You can't. That I think. Oh, uh, it's kind of mixed. Yeah, they're kind of mixed on it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. I know they can put out a pretty good bit of current. They actually charge up fairly quickly too, though. But I think the answer is probably going to be B. <laughs> you can't say probably. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. you're marking that, I'm circle, marking a B. Okay, you're marking a B. Number B. And it is B. High discharge current. Wow, I nailed that one, didn't I? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Way you to know, go. me. That's the answer I was thinking, but I just wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. I noticed you were mighty quiet through the whole thing. Yeah. And the, the chat room, they were mixed on it a little <laughs> bit too. Yeah, they were. Wait a minute, we've got a mystery guest. Hey, see there? Yes, I'm a meteorologic guy. He's not in the window very good. Masahiro once worked at ICOM America with us. Just Hello. Put, just put him full screen. Let me go get my earbuds so I can hear you. Okay. This is, uh, boy, it's rock and roll, isn't it? Yep. I wonder if he's going to sing. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Live from Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. So, what's going on here is Ray is at the Tokyo Ham Fair. A big ham radio event every year. And you just never, well, you never know what they're going to release there because a lot of new products are released right there in Tokyo. And He's getting set up and ready to go. Okay. Ray is live. Doesn't that look like? Yeah. Live it looks at a lot like Dayton Hamvention, doesn't it? It does. Boy, it sure does. Crowded. I mean, I think we could call this Dayton Hamvention light because the average weight is much less. Oh, wow. So what they're doing right now is, in Japanese, the introduction of the 705 to the crowd here. 705? Yes, the 705 is a new QRP radio introduced by ICOM. Oh, just it released is, uh, a direct sampling on HF 
and I'm not sure if it's a single or a double conversion for VHF and UHF. Huh. So it's brand new that we're just now releasing it on the world. Releasing information. It's not ready to sell yet. It's still in the development stage. Hmm. Interesting radio. And I mean, they're they're really packed in here. Oh, it looks like it. Now, you said QRP rig? Yes, sir. Five watts with the same battery pack that you have on your ID51A. Wow. Oh, wow. That's neat. So That's pretty awesome. They're introducing a new backpack for it as well. So um, this is going to be very... Very interesting to try to get around into here. So, there we go. Finally. So the radio weighs less than one kilogram. Oh, nice. Oh, this one. This one's just a dummied-up unit. We're looking at the speaker mic in the backpack, and then wow. we've got the power button right here. Uh, this one, this one's not powering up either. Hmm. But a little bit farther over we do. But to give you an idea of the size. Wow. And how long? Yeah, is looking at looking at the tape underneath it. Yeah, that's not a working unit. So has ICOM had a QRP rig before? Yes, we did the IC703, which was built on the 706 body. Hmm. So I'm, I'm making my way over here. So this is a replacement for that? Yes. Yeah. But it goes a, it goes a, quite a bit more because the 703... We had the 703 and the 703 plus, and that just did HF in six. But here we go. We get a good idea. So, Tommy, that looks like your battery, doesn't it? It sure does. Wow. So, we're going to have to have some better rope when you bring that by the studio here. Yeah, they're not going to let me ba back with this one. Yeah. But there's all your bands. Oh. Oh, wow. Your modes. So, all band, all mode? Wow, it looks just like it. Yeah, that's incredible. So I don't know if you guys are hearing me clear. The audio is kind of choppy coming back. Yeah, you you sound fine here. So we got the mini scope. It functions a lot like a 7300 and a 9700. So let me let me back get back out of here. Uh, I want to show you guys uh, new technology. Sorry, they're showing a concept on technology. It's not something that we're going to release in products, but just showing you the capabilities. Okay. So, 
you know, we, we watched on TV where you could speak into a universal translator. Mm. Yeah, right. So, so this is an IP501, which operates on the LTE network. Good morning. Good morning. So what it does is it goes over an LTE network into a server and then back out, but then it translates it from English to Japanese, or Japanese back to English. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Very interesting. So, give you an idea of the... Uh, digital, digital battlefield. Hold on. Can you do it again? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. So, are you guys able to hear that? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So, that was just very basic conversation. Again, just showing a prototype. We got a cutaway of the 9700 showing the three separate PAs that are internal. Yeah. And then also there's new firmware that's being released that helps with the stability. But there will be at the end of September even more new firmware that will allow you to transfer photos between two 9700s without a computer or without uh, any auxiliary devices. Oh, so oh. it looks like they're loading it in with a computer here. But here's Miss Nami. She's she's uh, the Miss D star here in Japan. <laughs> that is interesting. So you use the display on the radio. That's pretty cool. Here we go. So we go to picture. And that looks just like what you guys did in that video transferring photos to each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. So on no this one, there's where it looks like slow scan, and then there's the output. Wow. That's very awesome. So that, that'll be exciting to see. They're showing the app for the R30 and the, the receivers here. And then finally, if you want to not play QRP, but you want to uh, look at high power, we have the new PW1. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it will be a replacement for the PW1, but it is called the PW2. And this one's going to be configured for contesting. As you can see, the crowd around it is just unbelievable. It's HF and 6 meters. But it is an SO2R amplifier. Huh. So it has been several years since ICOM released a new amplifier, right? Oh, it has been a while. Probably 15 years. Does that say 1KW? I guess it does. Yeah. I'm trying to, here we go. I'll get in here this time. So right now it's an SO2R mode. 
and you can see it's on 20 and 15. It tells you the temperature rating, the humidity. Showing the back of the amplifier. Nice. That looks like one of the rigs almost. Yeah. And, and the head comes out as a remote head. Cool. And then check out the output. Huh. There, there are brochures in English that we will send out soon. And you can, oh, they're modeling the backpack. And the lady, if, if I remember correctly, this is Masako. She is a uh, pop singer in Japan that is a ham radio operator, and a lot of her songs uh, deal with ham radio. Wow. That's, that's cool. So she'll turn around here in a minute. <laughs> And we should be getting close to the time for us to do the presentation in English. Let me come around here to Miss Airy. This is Mr. Uh, Asano-san. He's in charge of uh, the advertising department at ICOM. And in Anabasan, he came with us to Dayton this year. But Miss Airy is about to do it in English. Yeah, I'm about to give a presentation in English. Oh, cool. In 30 minutes. In 30 minutes on what radio? IC705. Wow. All right, guys. So I don't know if you want to come back in about a half hour or what you want yeah. to do. Ring us. Why don't you ring us back in half an hour? Okay. Sounds good. All right, Ray. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for this uh, late breaking uh, story here from Tokyo right, Hampton. Appreciate Hanford. it, guys. You have a good one. Yeah, All right. You, you too. We'll Ray. see you in a little bit. And, and, and I will wear my Amateur Logic TV shirt T-shirt tomorrow and have a couple of selfies when I'm in the booth. Awesome. Cool. All right. See you in a little bit. Take it easy. See. You. Bye. Well, that's fun. That's something that. I don't know if any uh, video podcast has done that yet. Yeah, I don't know. Not that I know of. Well, I know they hadn't done it with Ray like right now tonight. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> man, that's awesome, man. Yeah. It's neat to see that. Well, that Going to that's on my bucket list one day. I'd love to go. Yeah, mine too. And you can tell the engineers at ICOM have been busy. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty nice. It's Pretty soon, hopefully Ray will have some of that stuff here. We'll be playing with it. I hope we'll have another SmackDown. I like that little QRP rig. That, you know, I was talking to you about doing some hotel yeah. stuff. That would be really nice for such as that. Boy, that that would be perfect. Uh-huh. Pretty cool. And I don't know when that last QRP rig was out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't even ever recall it. it. Mm -mm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was just thinking earlier this week that... ICOM doesn't have a QRP rig. Well, now they do. And now they do. So, wow. Well, I suspect we'll be learning more about that in the future. As he said, it's it's still in development. So Yeah, that was pretty cool of him to pop yet. on here and show us. That was the surprise we were talking about, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, that was cool. 
Hopefully we'll have more information on it here a little bit later in the show. You know, this is not the kind of stuff you get in your normal college lectures. No, it's not. It's almost like a field trip without having to leave home. Then there's no extra fee for it either. No extra fee. It's all in the price of admission and your tuition. Well, thanks for doing that, Ray, and we'll, we'll see him in a few minutes here. When is it acceptable to recharge a carbon-zinc primary cell? A, as long as the voltage has not been allowed to drop below 1 volt. B, when the cell is kept warm during the recharging period. C, when a constant current charger is used. Or D, never. When is it acceptable to recharge a carbon-zinc primary cell? That's that's just like a regular old zinc carbon battery, a D cell or an AA or a nine volt. When is it acceptable to recharge them? Well, I've got a good idea what the answer is there. I believe it's D, never. I'm not familiar with carbon zinc. That's your re- regular batteries. Oh, old flashlight oh, batteries. Oh, carbon. Oh, okay, carbon. Zinc carbon is something yeah. like what we normally call them. I'm going to say never. Oh, yeah. You know, they did make a charger for those one time. You could get about two or three charges out of it. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember that? I remember I they don't, had but don't Don't go char- recharging no. your batteries. It was supposedly a special charger, and they tried it for a while, but it didn't really pan out because they're not around anymore. No, and probably after it burned a few houses uh, up or yeah. something, you know. that. Okay, we're going to be back in a minute. But we're going to take a break here. Golden pure creamery butter, rich, flavorful, satisfying. That's what it takes for the finest buttered popcorn, and that's what we use. See for yourself why there's no showtime treat to equal the crisp, delicious flavor of hot popcorn that's bathed in real melted butter. It's at the concession stand now. Are you new to the ham world or an existing amateur operator who wants to take your license to the next level? Study for your radio license exam at hamstudy.org. Hamstudy.org is a free online learning tool powered by ICOM. It was created by Richard Bateman, KD7BBC, Michael Stuffelbeam, KV9G, and Rich Porter, KK6GKE, and it uses a modern web design to enhance the experience of studying for your technician, general, and amateur extra exams. Since 2013, hamstudy.org has helped new and existing hams to familiarize themselves with the question pools, use stats-based flashcards to focus on material they need to learn, and take practice exams to gauge progress. Visit hamstudy.org on your desktop computer or mobile device. Register for a free account at hamstudy.org to access personalized study history and other site features. Prepare for an exam in an intuitive and comprehensive manner. Check out hamstudy.org, powered by ICOM, for free learning tools. Good luck on your next exam. RF exposure and safety factors now. Okay. Which this is an important stuff here. FCC takes this serious these days. Yeah, and they should. Yeah. What is one way that RF energy can affect human body tissue? It heats body tissue, A, 
B, it causes radiation poisoning. C, it causes the blood count to reach a dangerously low level. Or D, it cools body tissue. And this one's mine, right? So it is not D, I know for sure. It doesn't cause your blood count to reach dangerously low levels. And it does not cause radiation poisoning, but it does cause body tissue to heat. So A, it heats body tissue, is the correct answer. And I'm sure of this one. Okay. That's what you're saying over in the chat room. And that's a good one to be sure of. That's what it does. Think about your microwave oven. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember being really concerned about this one when I read it. Mm-hmm. Because um, I actually thought about putting my antenna in the... In the microwave? Yeah. <laughs> no. In the cab? In the attic. In the attic. Yeah. No, I'm people do that. Yeah, I know. And it's probably okay, but I, when I was first getting started, I was pretty concerned about if I did that, but I never, but I never did end up. When you first there. got started, it wasn't an issue. The FCC didn't say it was an issue until years later. Well, I remember when I read this. Well, that's when I, this was a question when I got my HF ticket. Oh, I thought you meant your technician ticket. No. No, okay. This is a. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the rules were, were on in the place. General, we're on the general pool. Yeah. You didn't specify. You're trying to mess with my mind. So you've had a lot of tickets. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I've had three. Okay. Well, I think maybe we've got a little, little explaining to do. We do? This is showing the power thresholds that should initiate a routine evaluation of your amateur radio station. What By it says way. here is in the FCC's recent report and order, Concerning amateur radio installations are made subject to routine evaluation for compliance with the FCC's RF exposure guidelines. Also, amateur licensees will be expected to demonstrate their knowledge of the FCC guidelines through examination. This is when they first initiated these rules. Applicants for new licenses and renewals also will be required to demonstrate that they have read and that they understand the applicable rules regarding RF exposure. Before causing or allowing an amateur station to transmit from any place where the operation of the station could cause a human exposure to RF radiation levels in excess of the FCC guidelines, amateur licensees are now required to take certain actions. A routine RF radiation evaluation is required if the transmitter power of the station exceeds the level shown in Table 1 and specified in 47 CFR 97.13 C1. This is said table right here. Otherwise, the operation is categorically excluded from routine RF radiation evaluation, except as a result of a specific motion or permit as specified in Section 1.1307 of the FCC rules. Well... That's probably more information than I needed to say right here. But That was a mouthful for sure. And, I mean, that's just touching briefly on the subject. There's more that you'll find in there. But what this chart is showing you here, that well, the very top line there. If we're on the 160-meter HF band, if we're transmitting more than 500 watts, then that means that we should be doing routine evaluations to determine if we're causing too much RF exposure to anyone. It changes from different 
uh, bands there, all 80, 75, 40, or all 500 watts. If you're 500 watts or more, you need to do that routine evaluation. Comes down a little bit at 30 meters, and you'll notice when you get down to 12 meters and 10 meters, it drops to 50 watts. Mm-hmm. If you're transmitting more than 50 watts on those bands, well, you need to be doing 75 on 12. Yep. And then it it starts going back up again, uh, 70 centimeters, 70 watts, 33 centimeters, 150, and it goes on from there. What I don't see there is 2 meters. VHF all bands, VHF, 50 all watts. Bands. Okay. So that's going to probably include 6 meters and 2 meters mm-hmm. and the 220 band. Yep. If you're doing more than 50 watts, you need to be routinely evaluating what the RF exposure potential is. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And there, if I had 500 watts on 160 meters, I'd be pretty proud. You would be. Yeah, I don't even have an antenna that'll tune on 160. Well, I don't either. But if I did, I'd have 1,200 watts. Yeah. But I don't, so that don't count. That's a pretty long piece of wire. It is. One day, though, I hope... Yeah, you and me both, Yeah. Man. How can you determine that your station complies with FCC RF exposure regulations? A, by calculation based on FCC OET Bulletin 65. B, by calculation based on computer modeling. C, by measurement of field strength using calibrated equipment. Or D... All of these choices are correct. How can you determine that your station complies with FCC RF exposure regulations? Mm. Well, calculations based on FCC OET Bolton 65, that, that would, uh, that would, that's calculations. They're predicting that certain levels, certain amounts of exposure would put you over. That would do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, by calculations based on computer modeling, yeah, it could be calculated out with computer modeling. By measurements of fill strength using calibrated equipment, and I'm going to say, yeah, that's another way. So I believe it's D, all of these choices are correct. And they're a little mixed over in the chat room here. Yeah, I'm going to go with D on that also. And it is. One thing I wanted to mention, well, no, I'm not going to mention it because it'll come up later, I think, in the questions here. Oh, that was one of mine. Go ahead and mention it. No, that's what I'm thinking. I better wait. <laughs> it's, it's another opportunity for potential more buzzer. Which of the following steps must an amateur operator take to ensure compliance with RF safety regulations when transmitter power exceeds levels specified in FCC Part 97.13? And that's what we looked at just a moment here ago. Uh, a. Post a copy of FCC Part 97.13 in your station. B. Post a copy of OET Bulletin 65 in this station. C, perform a routine RF exposure evaluation. Or D, all of these choices are correct. Which of the following must amateur operator take to ensure compliance with RF safety regulations? 
Well, I don't think that you have to post post those bulletins there or those parts. And so that means D, all these are correct, is not the answer. It's going to be C, Charlie, perform a routine RF exposure evaluation. And that's a, the common sense thing on there anyway, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. The others would be handy to have hanging around, but. Yeah, but I don't think. I don't that's think, not a must. I remember, I don't think it's no. forced to post them. You're not. So it's C, and that's what they were all saying over in the chat room, too. What does time averaging mean in reference to RF radiation exposure? A, the average amount of power developed by the transmitter over a specific 24-hour period. B, the average time it takes RF radiation to have any long-term effect on the body. C, the total time of the exposure. Or D, the total RF exposure averaged over a certain time. Okay. Uh, we got a couple mixed answers. Uh, we got a changed answer. Yeah, this one's this one is kind of tough, and trying to think of how best to explain it. Time averaging. Yep. Okay. Hey. The average amount of power developed by a transmitter over a specific 24-hour period? Nah, it's not that. That's you, you don't transmit 24 hours solid on ham radio. B, the average time it takes RF radiation to have any long-term effect on the body? No, that's, that's not what we're talking about either. C, the total time of the exposure... Yeah, you would think, but we're averaging out the time here. It's D, the total RF exposure averaged over a certain time. Uh, that's that's what I believe the answer is. It's D. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, they are a little, little averaging, mixed. Total averaging, meaning radiation so exposure. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's D. Okay. I'm glad I got that right because I... Back when the FCC first enacted these rules and it applied to to radio stations and all, I had to do some uh, RF studies, RF exposure studies on our transmitter sites and all. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time calculating out that stuff. You could go this close to the transmitter and you could remain there for a certain period of time and you and it'd be okay for you to have that amount of exposure, but then you would have to move away for that length of time before you could go back in for another yeah. period that same length. And I just don't remember what the exact time length was right now. It was either based on, yeah, I don't remember, six-minute or ten-minute periods, but it, it was an average exposure thing. So when you when you're talking about RF exposure, it's not the fact that you walked up next to a thousand watt uh, transmitting antenna. It's how long you stayed there. Right. So it, it all averages out. You want to call it averaging? Yep. That's why they call it that. That's why they call it that. 
What effect does transmitter duty cycle have when evaluating RF exposure? A. A lower transmitter duty cycle presents greater short-term exposure levels. B. A higher transmitter duty cycle permits greater short-term exposure levels. C. Low duty cycle transmitters are exempt from RF exposure evaluation requirements. Or D, high-duty cycle transmitters are exempt from RF exposure requirements. I don't think any of them are exempt because of the power levels, if they meet certain power levels based off this chart you just showed us. Mm -hmm. So I I think I'm going to remove C and D from the equation here. Uh, What effect does transmitter duty cycle have? Lower transmitters duty cycle permits greater short-term exposure levels. So that means the transmitter's on less, off more. Higher transmitter duty cycle permits greater short-term. That's not right. The answer's going to be A. That's going to give you less exposure. Lower duty cycle allow you to be there for longer, well, greater short-term exposure levels. Yeah, I'm probably not saying that right. I'm confusing myself. I think it's A. You think it's A? I think it's no, number A. Okay. Well, there. I see a whole bunch of mixed answers in there. Yeah, they're they're a little mixed. Lower on that one. transmitter duty cycle, which means that it's to me that means that this it's tra- on less and yep. off more. Yep. Permits greater short-term exposure levels. Yep. Okay. You're right. Time averaging. That close. Oh, was it that close? No, no I think I, I felt it, figured that was right, but I wasn't explaining it very well. We'll be right back. Heard it, worked it, logged it. It's time to get the transceiver that's best suited for your lifestyle. ICOM offers a variety of high-performance and innovative products. Make the most out of contest season with one of these ICOMs today. IC7610, the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling, software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of a SDR transceiver. RF direct sampling, 110 RMDR, independent dual receivers, and dual digicell, or get the IC7300. Changing the way entry-level HF is designed, this high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. Keep your competitive edge with faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. ICOM's IC7851 is the pinnacle of HF perfection. Dual receivers, digital IF filters, memory keyer, digital voice recorder, high-resolution spectrum waterfall display, enhanced PC connectivity, and SD memory card slot. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. It's time to give away something. It is time to give away something. Hey! I just so happen to have a nice Icon ball cap. 
You got a nice ICOM t-shirt there. I do. It's Why don't we give this away? The ICOM Ham Crew t-shirt. Well, if I wanted to win one of these. Pretty simple. You need two things. You yeah. need a name. Right. And you need an email address. Okay. And you can send your name to hamcollegeatamateurlogic.tv and you're in. You're in. And that's all you got to have. That's you... all you've got to have. It's that easy. Who is our winner tonight? The, the winner of the Icom t-shirt and ball cap is Chuck Hefferman, K7HEF. Congrats, Chuck. Cool. And uh, the Icom will be in touch with you very shortly to get your information to send it to you. Yep. So uh, thanks, Icom, for doing that. And if we're you, making yep. more best dressed hams at the ham fest yeah so if you entered this month and you didn't win uh you need to send it again to get in the drawing for next month so get your entries sent in yep okay back live from the tokyo ham fair we've got ray with us that doesn't look like ray Did you come closer? Oh. thank you yeah it's the presentation in english Presentation will be started in about three minutes. In three minutes. All right. So please make room for other people. Thank you. Okay. In three minutes, we'll be having the live presentation there from the Tokyo Ham Fair on the new IC705, this yeah. time in English. Yeah. That's well, going to be cool. Yeah. Ray is standing by over there. And he will be, he'll be holding the camera. Yep, so we'll have to go full screen so they can see when that time comes. Yeah. So how many questions do we have for tonight left? Well, questions for tonight. We should be getting pretty close, I think. We are. Trying to figure out where we are right now. We have one, two, three, four, five. We got... Six questions left. Okay. While we're waiting on those, you know, it, it might be a good time to mention something that if you don't win a T-shirt and you still want a cool T-shirt to wear, yeah, where, where could you possibly find one? Well, you could go to amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. We've got uh, new T-shirts and stuff there. T uh, also, you can get Amateur Logic T-shirts, Ham College T-shirts, sweatshirts, caps, backpacks. Uh, I've put a lot of new swag on there. Uh, somebody suggested uh, Ham College VE shirts. We've got those on there now. We've got anode rules ball caps on there, uh, coffee mugs, with the logos on them, a lot of cool stuff. So, been a lot of changes in the store. So, go check them out. Yeah, I've got to get one of those new mugs. So I don't, yeah, me too. I, I, I didn't don't. get one myself yet. I'm, yeah. I think I'm gonna order one tonight when I get home. Cool. Well, we've got Ray standing by live in Tokyo, and we're a roving reporter. Yep. I'm gonna make a presentation of our most exciting new model. My name is Eri Shimazaki. I'm a ham. My call sign is Juliet Papa 3 Juliet Zulu Kilo. And gonna give you the first, very first information of IC705. 
First of all, I have to apologize to have kept you waiting so long for those who love field operations from Manu Summit or Island. No more waiting. Here comes the old brand, almost completely new and unique portable radio, the IC705. It is finally going to be launched with innovative performance functions and the user interface that will revolutionize conventional portable radios. Now let's head out into the field with IC705. So I'd like to begin by discussing some features of the IC705. It's an all-man, all-mode radio, including D3 DV mode, covering the HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters band. The dimensions are 8.5 centimeters high, 20 centimeters wide, and 8 centimeters deep. It's fairly compact. Actually, I have another important new item to reveal for the first time. The LC-192, an ICOM original backpack designed only for the IC-705. Of course, it's a perfect fit like this. You can attach an antenna smoothly like this. The good news is that this antenna for VHF or UHF comes with the radio so that you can start using it right away. Now are you ready for a new experience? Let's get started. The weight of the IC705 is just one kilogram. This is very easy to carry, even for ladies. There are some mock-up models right here, so you should definitely check them out by actually touching and holding it. For the power supply, you can use the BP272 lithium-ion battery pack, which is also can be used with the ID51 or ID31 series. This backpack also comes with the radio. With this battery, you can output 5 watts. Of course, you can use an external 13.8 DC volt battery too, enabling a 10 watts. In addition, the LC192 has holes where coaxial cable and microphone cable can go through. There are two holes. In the lower area, you can put some spare batteries, or even if you're outfit, if you'd like. You can also put a water bottle, or maybe a tripod for your camera into a side pocket. This supplied hand microphone has up-down keys that can change the operating frequency or audio volume, and it also has up, I'm sorry, it also has two user assignable keys that you can assign from your, some of your favorite functions too. Moreover, the IC705 is compatible with Bluetooth and wireless band, so you can use the ICOM VS3 Bluetooth headset if you have it. There will be a new remote control software application too 
that can be linked with the IP705, probably, probably in near future, okay? This radio has so much potential. Now, we are finally at the destination. Build an antenna, and let's start the field operation. Open the backpack and start a QSO. The leading technology that has been well received by many camps around the world is the RF direct sampling system. It is also utilized in the IP705 as well as the IC9610, IC79, I'm sorry, IC7300, and IC9700. This digital expertise makes it possible to have a real-time spectrum scope and waterfall display comparable to an HF high gear base station, even though the IC705 is fairly compact and light. With a conventional portable radio, you have to rotate the dial carefully, listen to the audio to check the band condition. However, if you use the IC705 spectrum scope and a waterfall display, you can instantly trust the band condition and select the most suitable operating band according to your situation. And this high-speed real-time spectrum scope, equivalent to the IC7300 or IC9700, must drastically change your conventional field operation style. What makes it even better is the 4.3-inch color display. Even though this is a portable radio, the display size is the same as the IC7300 and IC9700. Needless to say, you can tune the radio to the desired frequency or change settings with a simple touch. Portable radio has always been difficult to operate because of their tiny dials or keys, but you are now free from those irritations. The IC705, which has high-speed real-time spectrum scope and the 4.3-inch color display enables you to comfortably operate as if you are in a hamshack at your home. You might forget that you're in the field. So, what do you think so far? Good, good, thank you, good, thank you. We are very sure that your field operation will be more efficient and much more fun. Now we are home. Let's review today's operation. The IC705 has a micro SD card slot. With the SD card, you can record CX voice memory, save screen captures, or store your favorite settings into the card. Also, your QSO can be recorded into the card so you can listen to it later. Furthermore, a GPS receiver is built into the IC75 so the GPS data can be saved and then you can check the route you've walked today on your PC map. Now when you want to talk with your field operation, with your ham friends, now it's time to use DSR. The IC705 incorporates the DSR GB mode 
So you can talk with your hand friends with clear audio. Not only the CR function, but also the terminal mode and access point mode are built in. The IC705 comprehensive deeper function makes the radio more attractive. Additionally, the USB terminal or a send ALC terminal for linear amplifiers and the tuner terminal are also built in. This radio is truly excellent in extendability. The IC705 is specialized for field operations, but this feature-rich radio can also sufficiently be used as a base station. It can be the first rig for a beginner camp, but at the same time, this can also be the second rig for experienced camp. Now, to conclude this presentation, I'd like to say that for those who love field operations, the IC705 is the best radio ever. With the innovative performance, functions, and a user interface, you can upgrade your field conventional field operation. Now, for those who haven't started field operation, what do you think so far? Do you think you will start setting out to the field? I really hope you do. This is my end of my presentation. Thank you all for your attention. Thank you. What do you guys think about that? That's, that's very cool. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, no kidding. It's great. Really a nice radio. But okay. yes, 5 watts with the internal battery. If you go to an external battery, as you saw in our presentation, the backpack has plenty of room for lithium-ion phosphate, your antennas, and the different things with that. But if you've used a 7300, it's very similar. Yeah, it looks like, looks like uh, very close to the same interface we used to. And, and D-Star and a QRP rig. Well, VHF, UHF as well. And look, look here. We've got the battery indicator. This thing's been on a battery all morning long. Uh, you got the DC connection right here. So it's been surprising how, how well it's uh, running off the battery. And I'm going to see on the specs real quick to see if it says... No, nothing on the specs yet as far as the current consumption or anything like that. Okay. There's one question in the chat room, Ray. Is there? Does it have an internal tuner? No, it does not have an internal tuner. I did do a, a, an earlier live stream, and I did mention that it did have the internal antenna tuner. That was on one of the original uh, concept specs, but it, it couldn't make it into this small package. And, and like they said, it's one kilogram. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how many antenna jacks? It has just the the one antenna jack that that I see here. It is a BNC connector. Okay. Will it have, say, a ready and PSK thirty one built in? There's ready. Looks like just RTTY in it. Okay. But there again, you got on your single sideband, and there's a USB port, a micro USB port on it. So internal sound card, you can do all your digital modes right with it. Wow. Cool. And so, some of this is some of this is my speculation because 
there again, it is not a final product. Right. And uh, there's a lot of things that are not specced on it. It's all pre-release information at this point. Yeah. The thing that I thought was pretty cool that it's got Bluetooth and wireless LAN on it. So there's there's future additions. I bet that they're going to to add to it. Wireless oh. LAN. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh huh. That's awesome, man. So what are people saying about the rig there at the show? I would be glad to tell you what everybody's saying here, but I'm not fluent in Japanese. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that makes a difference. Now, I do understand Southern yeah. and English, but no, only Ohio Gazimus, and that's a, a Konnichiwa and uh, Arigato Gazimus. So that's pretty <laughs> much it for me in Japanese. Yeah. Well, you got me beat. Now, the engineers, the engineers love that because I don't understand a lot of the things that they have to say behind my back, but they do it in front of me. <laughs> so they don't have to be quiet. They can just go ahead with, with whatever. Yeah, and the interesting thing, they have that picture icon like yeah. they did on the 9700. So I'm just curious if that's going to be, oh, yeah, that. that yep. Don't understand what the icons are saying, but this looks just like the 9700 firmware that should be releasing at the end of September, where I can take a photo, put the SD card in it, pull it off the SD card, and transmit it to somebody else. Now that will be incredible for emergency communications because then you don't you don't have your the need for um, uh, for a computer to be with you. The other thing. Um, with terminal mode and access point mode and it having Wi-Fi or I'm sorry wireless LAN on it uh, you don't have to have a D-Star repeater there to get on D-Star wow, that's that's a good point a couple other questions here uh, do, you, okay. do you think you'll be able to remote it remote control uh, yeah that, that was actually in a presentation where she was talking about it having a uh, I've, she didn't say what what OS, but uh, either Android or iOS or both, that there will be a new remote control uh, app available for it. Can you take a photo with your phone and then Bluetooth upload it to the rig? I don't I don't know at this point if you can Bluetooth it or maybe even Wi-Fi it, but not really sure yet. That that might be something that's not spec'd yet. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Let's see. Well, that's very cool. Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it has, and you know what? It's been even more exciting hiding this from you guys for the last few months that I've known about it. <laughs> well, we knew something was up. We just didn't have any idea what. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, Tom, Tommy, you'd have to get that log chain to tie me up again, right? Yeah. Yep. I might get some better rope when you bring that yeah. by here when we do we show it. Yeah, we got to have another smite round. Bring your son over to hold me down. Yeah. <laughs> You guys have a good one, and this is probably going to be the most comprehensive video that will be out there for quite some time until I have one to come sit down with you guys. It's okay if we post it? I'm sorry, I missed that. What was that again? Is it okay if we cut this out and post it separately? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Awesome. All right, well, Ray. Appreciate yeah. you showing it to us. Yeah, thanks for doing this. This has All been right. great. All right, guys, you have a good one. All right, have a good show. Have fun. All right. Seven okay. three. Bye. That was cool. Yeah, that was very cool. I, I, I like that. Uh, pretty exciting to me.
I, you know, it looks kind of like a new concept for QRP mm -hmm. rig to me. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, a, that's a lot of features packed into a QRP rig. Yeah. A lot of features. Really interesting. And mm -hmm. and we did get the answer there. It's it's 5 watts with the battery, mm -hmm. uh, the internal battery, which is ID51 battery. Yeah. Just a walkie-talkie battery. Yeah. And then uh, 10 watts with the extra power, which makes sense because yeah. uh, 10 watts would probably drain that battery down pretty fast. Yeah. Even though that it, little battery does hold up pretty well. Well, it does. It does. So that's... Um, we didn't know this was coming. We knew something was up. Yeah, we had no idea. We what. had no idea. So but now we know. Yep. And again, thanks to Ray for uh, bringing that to us live here on Ham College tonight. Well, I guess we stalled as long as we can. We've got to well answer. Knock those last six questions out. If you're ever going to pass your exam. Which of the following properties is important in estimating whether an RF signal exceeds the maximum permissible exposure, MPE? A, the duty cycle. B, its frequency. C, its power density. Or D, all these choices are correct. Which of these properties is important in estimating whether an RF signal exceeds the maximum permissible exposure? The duty cycle definitely is. We we just discussed that. And the frequency is definitely involved because we saw that in the chart. Mm -hmm. And the power density, which I think that's going to be how close you are to it. So I think the answer is going to be D. All these choices are correct. That's what everybody's saying in the chat room. Well, everybody's right. I hope. They are. They nailed it. Okay. Well, we got more to go. More questions. Five more. Yep. But who's counting? I don't know, but you're reading. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what type of instrument can be used to accurately measure an RF field? A, a receiver with an S meter. B, a calibrated field strength meter with a calibrated antenna. C, an SWR meter with a peak reading function. Or D, an oscilloscope with a high-stability crystal marker generator. Which type of instrument can be used to accurately measure an RF field? A receiver with an S meter. No, that's not going to tell you at all because you got AGC in that receiver and, you know, it's not going to be that accurate. C, an SWR meter with a peak reading function. No, you, you can't tell that with an SWR meter. D, an oscilloscope with a high-stability crystal marker generator. may tell you what frequency it's on, but that's not going to help you um, measure the RF field. The only nope. reasonable answer there is B, a calibrated field strength meter with a calibrated antenna. So you're saying it's number B. And just like everybody else in the chat room is saying. And I know this for a fact because... You know, as I was talking earlier about when I had to do those RF studies on all mm -hmm. our transmitter sites, I leased said meter, and it came with a special antenna on it, a calibrated antenna that looked like a, a stick with a foam rubber ball on the end of it, oh. or styrofoam ball. And it, it was um, 
a special antenna calibrated to that meter. What was the purpose of the styrofoam? I don't know, but that's how it was. <laughs> Interesting. And I took that and I went around my different transmitter sites and measured at different places to determine what the field was there to know when, if you were, say, I remember in, in one particular instance we had a dummy load for a 25-kilowatt transmitter. And you could be within 18 inches of that dummy load before you started needing to be concerned about it. Huh. If you're more than 18 inches, if you were laying on it, that's a no-no. Yeah, you don't <laughs> so, want to do that. Yeah, but you could be, you know, three or four feet back, and you were okay. Huh. So, but wouldn't have known that without that calibrated meter and antenna. Yeah, I used to have a little SWR meter with a field strength. Yeah, it's not the same yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, I would have leased that to you. <laughs> I'm sure you would have, but I wouldn't have rented it. <laughs> I don't even have that anymore. Yeah, I do. Somewhere. What precautions should you take if you install an indoor transmitting antenna? A. Locate the antenna close to your operating position to minimize feed line radiation. B. Position the antenna across, or I'm, I'm sorry, position the antenna along the edge of a wall to reduce parasitic radiation. C. Make sure the MPE limits are not exceeded in occupied areas. Or D, make sure the antenna is properly shielded. Okay, what precautions should you take if you install indoor transmitting? Locate the antenna close to the operating position. That's not what you want to do. You don't want to do A. Mm -mm. B, position the antenna along the edge of the wall. Uh, I don't think that really matters either. C, make sure that MPE limits are not exceeded in occupied areas. Well, that's what we've been talking about for the last several questions. But let's check D, make sure the antenna is properly shielded. Uh, the answer is going to be C, Charlie. Make sure that MPE limits are not exceeded in occupied areas. I'd agree you want to with make you. sure MPE limits are not exceeded anywhere, really. Yeah. So, everybody's saying that in the chat room. That makes, that's what it makes the most sense, too. Yeah, you don't want to put them in the other territories where people are going <laughs> to yeah. be. Okay. Okay, what must you do if an evaluation of your station shows RF energy radiated from your station exceeds permissible limits? A. I saw something flash before my eyes up there. It kind of threw me off. A, take action to prevent human exposure to the excessive RF fields. B, file an environmental impact statement, EIS 97, with the FCC. C, secure written permission from your neighbors to operate above the controlled MPE limits. Or D, all of these choices are correct. I don't think you're going to ever get C to happen. I don't think so either, so I know it's not D. It wouldn't even matter if they did. I mean, it still wouldn't be legal. Yeah, but get, good luck getting somebody to sign off. I'm going to be radiating you over there. Can you sign and say it's okay? Yeah. Oh. I'll give you five bucks. <laughs> what must you do if an evaluation of your station allows or shows RF energy radiating from your station exceeds permissible limits? 
Uh, I'm going to say it's A, take action to prevent human exposure to the excessive RF levels. doesn't say what actions, but you do take action. So could be several things you do. Turn down your power, move your antenna, or don't transmit. Yep. A, yeah, that's what they're all saying over in the chat room. Well, mostly. Well, they're mostly mostly right in there then. Mm -hmm. Mostly. What precautions should be taken when installing a ground-mounted antenna? A, it should not be installed higher than you can reach. B, it should not be installed in a wet area. C, it should be limited to 10 feet in height. Or D, it should be installed such that it is protected against unauthorized access. And A doesn't, it doesn't matter. B should not be installed in a wet area. It's going to be raining out there. It's not going to matter as long as you sealed everything good. Should be limited to 10 feet. That doesn't matter either. The answer is going to be D. Delta, it should be installed such that it is protected against unauthorized access. You don't want somebody going up there to touch and touch that thing or get too close to it. Right. You can get a nasty RF burn or get uh, too much uh, exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody got that one right, too. And you could see why. That that one makes the most sense out of all of that. Oh, yeah. The others don't even make any sense at mm -hmm. all even being there. Okay, you got one more question for tonight. I do. What is the one thing that can be done if evaluation shows that a neighbor might receive more than the allowable limit of RX exposure, RF exposure, from the main lobe of a directional antenna? A, change to a non-polarized antenna with higher gain. B, post a warning sign that is clearly visible to the neighbors. C, use an antenna with a higher front-to-back ratio. Or D, take precautions to ensure that the antenna cannot be pointed in their direction. What is one thing that can be done if evaluation shows that a neighbor might receive more than the allowable limit of RF exposure from the main lobe of a directional antenna? Well... That means all you can point the power where you want it to go. Changing to a non-polarized antenna with higher gain would... Uh, now, higher gain is just going to make the situation worse. <laughs> You're just going to be concentrating that much more power on your neighbor. Be post a warning sign that is clearly <laughs> visible to the neighbor. Uh, yeah, you know... <laughs> that just doesn't make good neighbors. Um, uh, C, use an antenna with a higher front-to-back ratio. There again, you're just putting more power on the neighbor by doing that. It's got to be D, take precautions to ensure that the antenna cannot be pointed in their direction. Yeah, but most everybody's saying D over there. There's a few non-Ds. Yep. And, you know, I've thought about that. What precautions could you take to make sure that it can't be pointed in their direction? 
Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Is there a way to put a stop on the I, rotor? I don't know. I, I'm not, nothing I comes to mind. I haven't had a rotor in so long, I don't even remember. I don't think there was anything on there. I got a rotor. You got the controller? I hadn't had it in so long, but I picked it up at Huntsville. Oh, yeah? Yep, I do have the controller. So I'll have to look, but I don't know that you can say don't stop here. Hmm. Um, maybe you can. Yeah, I don't, I, don't I don't remember there being one on mine, but mine was back in the 80s when I had one. Yep. So, there you go. That's all the questions for tonight. And they did good. They did good tonight. Yeah. No buzzer. No buzzer? Mm -mm. And it's been a long show, so I think we probably need to slip on out right now and uh, get to editing, because I've got to get this late-breaking information here from Ray posted. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that was good stuff. I'm glad. Uh, it was. Appreciate him taking the time to do that. You know, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say about it. That was just, I'm glad that it worked out to where we were shooting on the same night that, that uh, well, it was morning over yeah. there. But I'd have made a point to, to come in and record that. That was good stuff. Yeah, that was great. Uh, before we go, couple of things to mention as usual during the month you can join us in the high society <laughs> <laughs> facebook.com slash group slash ham college um, you can follow ham college on twitter or you can join our new groups.io group groups.io slash g slash amateur logic yeah you know people are still getting in there almost every day more people are getting in there getting quite uh yeah, it, it is starting to build up. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also check uh, the show notes wiki and find out what we've been doing for Ham College and Amateur Logic. AmateurLogic.tv slash wiki. And thanks to Dan for doing that. Yep, thanks a lot, Dan. And one other thing we want to mention is if you wanted to watch the show like you weren't already doing it. Yeah. But you might be watching at a neighbor's house and you don't know all your options, or maybe you just don't know all your options yourself. How can you watch Ham College or Amateur Logic? Well, it's funny that you ask. You can watch it on YouTube. Yeah. You can watch it on the Roku. You can watch it at AmateurLogic.tv or HamCollege.tv. Yeah. And you iTunes. Can, iTunes. Uh, Roku, as I said, and... As of a couple of days ago, we have a new one. We're actually on the Amazon Fire Stick now. So if you go to Amazon.com and search for Amateur Logic, you can, you'll find us on there. You can subscribe to it and have the app added to your Fire Stick or your Fire TV, mm -hmm. whatever you use, or you can do it straight from the device either way. Yeah. What about um, Google Play? Google Play, you know, I need to check and see if that's still there. Because I, I did subscribe, add us to Google Play, but it only supported the audio versions at the time. Okay. Um, so they were saying they were going to add video, but at the time I did it, that wasn't available. That's why I've never really okay. pushed it. But I'm, I'm going to check on that, too, and see if that's an okay. option. If it is, I'll get us worked out on there, too. So that's really, that's more ways there than should be allowed by law it already. Is, and we're still looking for more ways. Yep. So tell your mom and them <laughs> to, to join the professor and the dean here for the next episode of Ham College coming up at 
Uh, the end of... Let's see, this is the end of August, so it'll be the end of September. Yeah. Yep. And join us for the next Amateur Logic coming up around the 15th of September. We'll be here. We'll be here, and I've got some uh, good stuff I shot over at Huntsville Hamfest this year we'll be looking yeah, at. I've yeah, I've got a... I'm kind of excited about my my little project this time, so I'm not going to give away what it is, but I think it's mm-hmm. going to be kind of neat to some people. I think so. All right. 7-3, everyone. Thanks for being here, and we'll catch you next time. 7-3, everybody. Good night. I just happened to have them, the two of them sitting right here side by side, so we might as well look. And we would look if I had turned that camera on. Because all of a sudden the lights didn't go off. Yep. Yeah. Tropical forest winds in Florida. Yeah, you know where we're supposed to go Wednesday? West Palm Beach. Guess where that thing's supposed to make yeah, land? Yeah, I think West I West Palm Beach. I think I'd cancel that trip. Yeah, I hate that. My son, my son has has worked so hard for oh, that. Oh, that's right. It's that event down there. Yeah, he's worked wow. all year for that thing. Well, I wonder if they're they'll still have it or if they're going to cancel uh, it. It hadn't been canceled yet. He yep. keeps checking. Um, you want the BB gun? I don't think I'm my wife kidding. would appreciate that I'm if I shot kidding. her with the BB gun. I, I wouldn't appreciate Because I was fixing to call her on the phone. I <laughs> you do, your dogs have cell phones? No, my wife. Oh. To ask her to get the dog in. Which of the following steps must an amateur operator take to ensure compliance with RF safety regulations when transmitter power exceeds level specified in FCC Part 97.137. And we just looked at those a moment ago. I think that's dot 13. Question dot mark. Dot 13. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good blooper. See, make sure the MPE limits are not exceeded in occupied territories. <laughs> Territories. It's a brand new word I've made up just like, and you're the first to know about it.